0: Chapter One of Dwellers in the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Dwellers in the Hills by Melville Davison Post. Chapter One The October Land. I sat on the ground with my youthful legs tucked under me, and the bridle rein of El Mahdi over my arm, while I hammered a copper rivet into my broken stirrup-strap. A little farther down the ridge Judd was idly swinging his great driving-whip in long, snaky coils, flicking now a dry branch, and now a red autumn leaf from the clay road. The slim buckskin lash would dart out hissing writhe an instant on the hammered road-bed and snap back with a sharp clear report the great sorrel was oblivious of this pastime of his master the lash whistled narrowly by his red ears but it never touched them in the evening sunlight the cardinal was a horse of bronze opposite me in the shadow of the tall hickory timber the man ump doubled like a finger was feeling tenderly over the coffin joints and steel-blue hoofs of the bay eagle, blowing away the dust from the clinch of each shoe nail, and pressing the flat calks with his thumb. No mother ever explored with more loving care the mouth of her child for evidence of a coming tooth. Ump was on his never-ending quest for the loose shoe nail. It was the serious business of his life i think he loved this trim nervous mare better than any other thing in the world when he rode perched like a monkey with his thin legs held close to her sides and his short humped back doubled over and his head with its long hair bobbing about as though his neck were loose coupled somehow he was eternally caressing her mighty withers or feeling for the play of each iron tendon under her satin skin and when we stopped he glided down to finger her shoe-nails. Then he talked to the mare sometimes, as he was doing now. "'There's a little ridge in the hoof, girl, but it won't crack. I know it won't crack. And—' This nail is too high. It is my fault. I was gabbin when old Hornick drove it.' On his feet he looked like a clothespin with the face of the strangest old child—' he might have been one left from the race of dwarfs who tradition said lived in the hills before we came his mare was the mother of el mahdi i remember how ump cried when the colt was born and how he sat out in the rain a miserable drenched rat because his dear bay eagle was in the mysterious troubles of maternity and because she must be very unhappy at being on the north side of the hill among the black hawthorn bushes for that was a bad sign, the worst sign in the world, showing the devil would have his day with the colt now and then. I used, when I was little, to hear talk once in a while of some very wonderful person whom men called a genius, and of what it was to be a genius. The word puzzled me a good deal, because I could not understand what was meant when it was explained to me. I used to ponder over it, and hope that some day I might see one, which would be quite as wonderful, I had no doubt, as seeing the man out of the moon. Then, when El Mahdi came into his horse-estate and our lives began to run together, I would lie awake at night trying to study out what sort of horse it was, that deliberately walked off the high banks along the road, or pitched me out into the deep blue grass, or over into the sedge-bushes, when it occurred to him that life was monotonous, tumbling me upside down like a girl, although I could stick in my brother's big saddle when the black abbot was having a bad day, and everybody knew the black abbot was the worst horse in the hills. Wondering about it, the suggestion came that perhaps El Mahdi was a genius. Then I pressed the elders for further data on the word, and studied the horse in the light of what they told me. He fitted snug to the formula. He neither feared God nor regarded man, so far as I could tell. He knew how to do things without learning, and he had no conscience. The explanation had arrived. El Mahdi was a genius. After that we got on better. He yielded a sort of constructive obedience, and I lorded it over him, swaggering like a king's governor. But deep down in my youthful bosom, I knew that this obedience was only pretended, and that he obeyed merely because he was indifferent. He stood by while I hammered the stirrup, with his iron-gray head held high in the air, looking away over the hickory ridge across the blue hills to the dim, wavering face of the mountains. He was almost seventeen hands high, with deep shoulders and flat legs trim at the pastern as a woman's ankle, and a coat dark-gray, giving one the idea of good blue steel. He was entirely, I may say he was abominably indifferent except when it came into his broad head to wipe out my swaggering arrogance, or when he stood as now, staring at the far-off smoky wall of the hills, as though he hoped to find there, some day farther on, a wonderful message awaiting him, or some friend whom he had lost when he swam Lathe, or some ancient enemy. I finished with the stirrup, buckled it back into its leather, and climbed into the saddle. It was one of the bitter things that my young legs were not long enough to permit me to drive my foot deep into the wide wooden stirrup and swing into the saddle as Jud did with the cardinal, or as my brother did when the black abbot was in a hurry and he was not. I explained it away, however, by pointing out, like a boy, not that my legs were short, but that El Mahdi, the false prophet, was a very high horse. Jud had not dismounted, And ump was on the bay eagle like a squirrel by the time i had fairly got into the saddle then we started again in a long swinging trot el mahdi leading the cardinal next and behind him the bay eagle the road trailed along the high ridge beside the tall shell-bark hickories now the granary of the gray squirrel and the sumac bushes where the catbirds quarrelled and the dry old poplars away in the blue sky where the woodpecker and the great Indian hen hammered like carpenters. The sun was slipping through his door, and from far below us came a trail of blue smoke and a smell of wood ashes, where some driver's wife had started a fire, prepared her skillet, and moved out her scrubbed table. Signs that the supper was on its way. Streaked bacon, potatoes, sliced and yellow, and the blackest coffee in the world. Now and then on the hillside, in some little clearing the fodder stood in loose bulging shocks bound with green wise while some old man or half-grown lad plied his husking peg in the corn spread out before him working with the swiftness and the dexterity of a machine ripping the husk with one stroke of the wooden peg bound to his middle finger and snapping the ear at its socket and tossing it into the air where it gleamed like a piece of gold Below was the great, blue cattle-land, rising in higher and higher hills to the foot of the mountains. The road swept around the nose of the ridge, and plunged into the woods, winding in and out as it crawled down into the grass hills. The flat curve at the summit of the ridge was bare, and, looking down, one could see each twist of the road where it crept out on the bone of the hill to make its turn back into the woods. As I passed over the brow of the ridge, I heard Judd call, and, turning my head, saw that both he and Ump were on the ground, looking down at the road below. Judd stood with his broad shoulders bent forward, and Ump squatted, peering down under the palm of his hand. I rode back just in time to catch the flash of wheels sweeping into the wood from one of the bare turns of the road— Yet even in that swift glimpse, I thought I knew who was below, and so I did not ask, but waited until they should come into the open space again farther down. I sat with the bridle-rein loose on El Mahdi's neck, and my hands resting idly on the horn of the saddle. I think I must have been smiling, for when Ump looked up at me, his wizened face was so serious that I burst out into a loud laugh. "'Well,' i said it's cynthia isn't it at half a mile she oughtn't to be so very terrible and i opened my mouth to laugh again but that laughter never came into the world just then a big horse with a man's saddle on him and the reins tied to the horn trotted out into the open and behind him cynthia's bay cob and her high trim cart and beside cynthia on the seat was a man i saw the red spokes of the wheel THE SILVER ON THE HARNESS, THE FLASH OF THE GREY FEATHER IN CYNTHIA'S HAT, AND EVEN THE BIT OF RIBBON HALF-WAY OUT THE LONG WHIPSTAFF. THEN THEY VANISHED AGAIN, WHILE UP THE WIND CAME A PEAL OF LAUGHTER AND THE RUMBLE OF WHEELS, AND THE FAINT HAMMERING OF HORSES IN THE IRON ROAD. ON THE INSTANT MY HEART GAVE A GREAT THUMP, AND GREW VERY BITTER, AND MY FACE HARDENED AND CLOUDED. WHO WAS IT, Jud? I SAID. "'and my jaws felt stiff. "'It was surely Miss Cynthia,' he began, "'and it was surely a Woodford cattle-horse. "'Then he stopped with his mouth open "'and began to rub his chin. "'I turned to Ump. "'What Woodford?' I asked. "'The hunchback twisted his shaggy head around in his collar "'like a man who wishes to have a little more air in his throat. "'Then he said, "'He was a big brown horse with a bald face.' and he struck out with his knees when he trotted. Them's the Woodford horses. The saddle was black with long skirts, and it had only one girth, them's the Woodford saddles, and the stirrups was iron, and there are only one Woodford who rides with his feet in iron. I looked at Jud, searching his face for some trace of doubt on which to hang a little hoping, but it was all bronze and very greatly troubled. "'Then he saw what I wanted and began to stammer. "'Maybe the horse was tender, and that was the reason. "'But Ump piped in, scattering the little cloud. "'That horse ain't lame. "'He trots square as a dog.' "'Jud looked away and swung up in his saddle. "'Maybe,' he stammered. "'Maybe the horse throwed him, and that was the reason. "'Again Ump, the destroyer of little hopes,' answered from the back of the bay eagle. No horse ever throwed Hawk Roof. I sucked in the air over my bit lips when Ump named him. Roof Woodford, with Cynthia. I thought for an instant that I should choke. Then I kicked my heels against El Mahdi and swung him around downhill. He galloped from the jump, and behind him thundered the cardinal and the bay eagle, with her silk nostrils stretched, jumping long and low like a great cat. End of chapter 1